Would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4? And we're reading verses 1 through 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Thus ends the reading of God's word. A few years ago, I spent the weekend with some friends. We enjoyed coffee, great conversation. We made some music together. We laughed a lot. And that Sunday, we visited a church that my friend was going to regularly. And the aesthetics were just right. When you walked into the room, uh, the colors, the sound, the feel was, it was just right. I remember they had an espresso bar when you first entered the church, which if you're a coffee lover like me, wow. <laughs> Um, and I remember walking into the auditorium with a coffee in one hand and a chocolate muffin in the other. And as we settled into our seats, um, the, the music, uh, the band uh, started a kind of a, a pop hit instrumental. Um, so I think it was like a Coldplay song or something like that. Really enjoyed that for about two minutes as they played. We all got settled. We sat down and, and we got started. Um, I don't really remember the music too much, but I do remember what came after. Um, they had a message from a guest speaker who happened to be a comedian. And you can see where this is going. Um, the man shared a, an array of hilarious jokes, timely stories, just really, really funny, got us laughing. And, and at the very end, he had a really good message about how to welcome Jesus into the innermost parts of our lives Everyone loved it. He was sensational. What an experience. But I left unsettled. I had been so entertained and left with such a good feeling. Why should I feel unsettled? Why did I question that? And I wonder what your impression would be if you had that experience visiting a church. Maybe it's possible that, you know, just that experience doesn't align with my traditional values, you know, my traditional notions of what, what church and Sunday morning should look like. Is it that, though? No, it's not that. There's something much deeper, and it's this, that God has given us divine wisdom and instruction in his word for how we ought to gather as his church. And therefore, Sunday mornings should reflect these biblical priorities. But often we fail to if we don't heed the warnings in Scripture and the instruction in Scripture. And we don't value the things the way that God values them. Sadly, this experience that I had at that particular church is not necessarily a major exception. I've had the opportunity to travel a lot with Team Pack Leadership Schools and visiting churches all around. And let me just say, I don't think that every church that I've been to heeds what we're going to read here in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. And so let me 
focus it on you for a moment. What would be your priorities if you were to go find a church, you know, next week? If next Sunday you were looking for a church or later in your life you were looking for a church after moving to a new city, what would you look for? What would be your priorities? Would it be the style of music? Would it be a robust, you know, youth ministry for your young people? Would it be a charismatic preacher? Maybe how welcoming the church is? Each of these may have their place, but, but my question is what, is, what would be your priority? And more than that, not what would be your priority, but what is God's priority? And so the same goes for us here who are members at Kingsway. What should we expect? Think about this. What should we expect of our pastors? And what responsibility do we have on Sunday mornings and throughout the week? And it's, and it's worth repeating. Our priorities should align with God's priorities. So what are God's priorities? Well, that, that's exactly what this sermon series is all about. And so today's message gets to the heart of perhaps the greatest priority for Sunday mornings, and that is preach the word. Amen. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, tells us exactly what we should require of our pastors and why. And so here's a simple summary of the main idea. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Pastors have a holy responsibility to preach the word because we are all prone to wander from the truth. So what is this holy responsibility? What is required of our pastors and our church? Point one, pastors have a holy responsibility to preach the word. Look at verses one and two with me. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. If you're unfamiliar with 2 Timothy, I'd love to just highlight the author and the recipient, kind of get you comfortable with the context. So, The author here, as we read in chapter 1, verse 1, is that this letter was written by Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. This is Paul the apostle writing a letter. And Paul writes in chapter 2 that at the time he is, quote, suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. From other passage, we understand that, that Paul was imprisoned, or under house arrest, and under trial in Rome. And while he remained confident that the Lord would rescue him and bring him safely into God's kingdom, it is equally clear that Paul soberly anticipates that he is about to die. And Paul maintains this solemn tone throughout the whole letter as he prepares a young pastor to lead without his continuing aid. And it's also worth noting that 2 Timothy is the last of Paul's words that we have in Scripture. So it's heavy. And who's Timothy? In each letter addressed to Timothy, Paul refers to him as a true child in the faith in 1 Timothy 1 verse 2 and his beloved child, 2 Timothy 1 verse 2. Paul was likely instrumental in his conversion and he most definitely was very instrumental in his continuing growth and sanctification as a spiritual mentor. 
And so now we turn with this kind of context, understanding who's writing and who's being written to, what Paul is writing about. So remember our question, what is charged, what is required of our pastors and our church? What priorities will Paul at this point in his life pass on? And his message is quite simple. Look at the first three words of verse two with me. Preach the word. Preach the word. And as we consider this charge, I want to answer three questions. One, who gives the charge to preach? Two, who is charged to preach? And three, what are we charged to preach? So question one, who gives the charge to preach? The New American Standard Bible translates Paul's exhortation as a solemn charge. Another translation says that Paul earnestly testifies. This is a serious exhortation at the end of Paul's life and ministry. And so on what basis does Paul make this charge? He could charge Timothy as an apostle or as Timothy's spiritual mentor, but he doesn't. Notice that. On what basis, by what authority, does Paul make this charge? The charge, writes one commentator, is connected with three facts. The reality of the judgment of Christ, the certainty of his return, and the establishment of his kingdom. It is not simply a duty. It is an awesome duty. It is a holy responsibility. Look at verse 1. Paul's charge is made in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. This charge to preach the word is not a charge from a man. It's not from Paul. Those who preach are thus responsible not to Paul, or to any other human institution or authority, but responsible to God himself. Therefore, we must preach as charged. Now you may think, aren't we all called to preach the gospel, to preach of Jesus? And I would say yes. But there's a pastoral responsibility that's talked about in the New Testament as preaching that is different than this. The responsibility, the responsibility to authoritatively preach the word is unique. And so we need to ask our second question, question two, who is charged to preach? So remember, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, a young church leader in Ephesus. And as an apostle, Paul received his charge from Christ himself. I want to look at that. Paul references this in Galatians 1, verses 11 through 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation from Jesus Christ. So he's, he's defending his apostolic ministry, saying, I am an apostle directly given my charge from Christ himself. And this is very similar to what we see Peter describe in his apostolic ministry in Acts 10, verses 42 through 43. We read Peter's description. 
of what he was charged, that Christ, he commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Timothy was not an apostle, but he was a pastor, a leader in this church. And so notice how similar the charge is for him as a pastor as the one that Peter described in Acts 10. I charge you, same language, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing of his kingdom, to preach the word. So this charge is for pastors. Pastors must preach the word. So think about this with me then. Why was this personal charge, this exchange between Paul and Timothy, between an apostle and a pastor, preserved for us? It's this, that God wants us to know in every age what we should expect of our pastors. Jonathan Griffiths celebrates this when he writes, the baton of preaching is passed on from one generation to the next. The charge to preach the word applies not only to Timothy, but to all those who would follow as pastors and teachers down through the ages until the return of Christ. So this charge is given by God's authority to pastors in every age. That includes Matthew. That includes Chris. Where's Chris? Is he with us this morning? And that includes Josh. So, so pastors in every age. That includes our pastors here today. As well as anyone like me who is being trained to preach. <laughs> we are responsible to preach. We are charged to preach. But not just to preach. We're charged to preach something specific. What is the thing that we're charged to preach? Question three. What are we charged to preach? The word. There's no overstating this. The creator of the universe has a message for us to hear. So what should we come to Sunday mornings expecting to hear? That very same message. That very same message. Think about it. A, a good mailman doesn't deliver his own letters. He delivers someone else's letters. A good reporter doesn't make up the news. She reports the news. A good pastor must, must, must communicate God's message, not his own. And we want to hear from God. We, we need to hear from God. When we show up on a Sunday morning, we expect to hear from him. We expect to hear his voice. But how in the world does that happen? Well, it's through his word preached. Jonathan Lehman writes that God's word is an extension of God himself. To hear his words that comprise the whole Bible is to hear him. To obey his words is to obey him. To ignore his words is to ignore him. God invests himself in his words, as Timothy Ward puts it. He so identifies himself with his words that our response to his words are our response to him. 
So let me give two examples of this, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. In the Old Testament, the prophet Nathan addressed David after his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba. And he said this, that you have despised the word of the Lord. And in the next breath, he rebukes David on behalf of the Lord, saying that it is because you despised me. So question, was it because David despised the word of the Lord, or was it because he despised the Lord? And the point is clear, but I'll state it plainly. To despise the the word of the Lord is to despise the Lord himself. His word is an extension of himself. An example from the New Testament, Jesus answered a question by saying, if anyone loves me, he will do what? He will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make a home with him. So to love Jesus means to obey Jesus. To obey Jesus means to love Jesus, word and action in the same. So we should wonder at this, that God, invisible by nature, speaks. He communicates. He reveals himself to us. And consider the power of this revelation through words. When God said, let there be light, what happened? There was light. And when God said, Lazarus, come out, a dead man started to breathe again. God's words have such power to change our lives. Earlier in this very letter, Paul writes to Timothy and to us that all scripture is breathed out, literally expired by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped in every good work. Therefore, what follows the charge to preach the word are exhortations describing what that actually looks like. The word will reprove, it will rebuke, it will exhort, but the preacher must do this with all patience and teaching. There's an equal sense of severity and gentleness that ought to be present in preaching. Truth and grace meeting as one to shape the people of God by his word. So why is the content of our messages, the content of preaching, the content of sermons on Sundays, so important. Brian Chapel in his book, Christ-Centered Preaching, warns that without the authority of the word, preaching becomes an endless search for topics, therapies, and techniques that will win approval, promote acceptance, advance a cause, or soothe worry. None of those things are the gospel-transforming effects of the Word of God. We know we need to be rescued. We know we need to be forgiven. We know we need to be set free. We know we need to be transformed. We know we need the truth of the Christmas story. We need the gospel. We need Jesus. Therefore, we ought to preach Jesus. But you may be thinking, well, Quinn, I agree (laughs) that we should preach Jesus, but that's not what you said. You said that we're supposed to preach the Word. But that's just it. That we read in John 1.14 that something became flesh. (laughs) No, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and that we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten father full of grace and truth. Preaching Christ 
and preaching the written word of God, the Bible, is the same thing. Jesus is the revelation of God and the one to whom all Scripture testifies. They are one thing because the word became flesh. So what should we preach? What must we preach? The word, the Bible that teaches us about the God that created all things, the sin that separates us from him, the provision of Christ to redeem us according to his promise and his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We preach the word. But perhaps you agree up to this point. You agree that the word of God should be central. But what of preaching? What of preaching? A common objection may be stated like this. Aren't there more effective ways, or at least more interesting ways, to communicate a message than purely didactic preaching? In an age of of social media and VR, preaching can feel traditional or out of date. I wonder if you've felt that before. So... I want to spend the rest of our time with the second half of this passage by answering this question. Why should we be committed to sitting under preaching every week? And here's point two of the sermon. We are all prone to wander from the truth. We are all prone to wander from the truth. Look at verses three and four with me. For the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And I want to pause here for a moment and ask you to identify yourself in this passage. I didn't say that some of us are prone to wander from the truth. So that all of us are prone to wander from the truth. The warning that's, that's here in verses 3 and 4 is for you today. So heed this warning. Why are pastors given the charge to preach the word in season and out of season with all patience and teaching? The time is coming... This is something that's anticipated by Paul and now anticipated by Timothy and something that we should anticipate when people, the people that you're charged to preach to, which is typically the sheep of your flock, will not endure sound teaching. That is, they will will not endure the teaching that is consistent with what God says and what God does and what God requires of us. But having itching ears, this, this burning desire, this, this desire to, to fulfill something for your own purposes, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, not based on biblical priorities, but on personal priorities. Not based on God's desires, but based on personal desires. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They'll leave the fold. They'll leave the church. And so, that's why I think my experience, and if you've visited many churches, it may be your experience that, that Sunday morning worship can, 
can feel more like a concert, and a sermon may sound more like a TED Talk or an inspirational speech. And we might actually even be attracted to these things. I had a conversation, Luke Sturgeon and I had a conversation this past uh, spring or summer, and we were having coffee, and we were talking about that. Like, there is something really attractive about particular styles of worship and teaching. And I'm drawn to that. Admittedly so. I, I can locate myself in this passage. Maybe you can as well. But that's why this charge to preach the word is so important. It's that the word confronts us. Um, I want to read an excerpt from someone I've quoted already this morning, Jonathan Lehman. He wrote a book called Word-Centered Church, forwarded by Matt Chandler, that I think is very, I don't know, it has, it has transformed the way that I look at Sunday mornings and the life of our local church, and I love it. Um, but he identifies what this charge is all about. It's about confronting us. It's about confronting us. So this is an excerpt. This confrontation between truth and untruth is where the decisive battle happens for heart change. Untruth can only be defeated and replaced through a confrontation with truth. Here's how the story goes. It all begins with a sham king sitting on a sham throne, convinced that all glory and rule are his. And that's all of us in our fallen nature. Then an ambassador for the real king enters the cardboard throne room and speaks a simple word. The king is coming. He's willing to forgive. Surrender. The preached word is a word of hope. It's, it's, it's a word of life with the power to change, and yet we're prone to wander from the truth, and so we need to be confronted by the truth. And sadly, whether out of fear of rejection or the potential for popularity or lack of trust in the Spirit's power to achieve his mission— Many pastors actually dilute this message, and this is what it looks like. Suppose, however, that the ambassador decides to soften the real king's words. He doesn't tell the sham king to surrender. He tells him instead that he can, he can offer him a, a great opportunity for an alliance with the true king. Meanwhile, he plays a little mood music, and he tells sweet stories. He does everything he can to flatter the imposter, would the ambassador make any progress this way? Maybe. He might even get this pathetic and naked emperor to, to, to declare himself a friend of the real king. But of course, the whole affair would only reinforce the sham because there would be no real surrender. The ambassador will have only succeeded in creating a nominal Christian. A nominal Christian. Only the power of God's word and his spirit can give true freedom, the freedom from obedience, the freedom from righteousness, the freedom of joyful conformity to the character of God. And what the word does, friends, is it confronts us and we need to be confronted. Sitting here this morning, you need to be confronted. 
Therefore, we must be committed to preach the word because we're prone to wander from it. We need God's word to confront us, to expose us, and to give us real and lasting hope. So if you are not a follower of Jesus, if, if, if I asked that question and you raised your hand and you said you were not following Jesus, then, then my charge to you right here, right now, is that you need to hear the word of God preached today. You need to hear God today. And if you would say that you are following Jesus, my charge would be the exact same that you need to sit under the preaching of the word today. You need to hear the word preached in power and let God's spirit do his work. Preaching is different. Preaching is different. Preaching is different than sharing a devotional, teaching a Bible class, or facilitating a small group. To preach is to teach with authority and to charge listeners to respond to the truth of God's word. On whose authority? On God's authority. This is what Griffiths writes about when he says, if it is the word of God that preachers preach, then insofar as they are saying what the Bible passage is saying, it follows that God is speaking and his voice is heard. Insofar as what I preach today is what we actually see here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. This is amazing that he uses a human agent to do this. Then insofar as we are saying what the Bible says, it follows that God is speaking and his voice is heard. A healthy diet of preaching in the local church is modeled in the New Testament as a weekly local gathering of the people of God who listen to, believe, and respond to the preached word. And this must be the same for our church today. And if you're not a member of a church, then you need to find one and sit under this kind of preaching. God's word creates his church, and God's word transforms his church. The preached word is then inescapably shaping us week after week after week as the people of God. So, I travel for work often. I probably miss a handful of Sundays every year just because of work reasons. And, and then you add in vacation and I, you know, my family's from the West Coast and we're going there for New Year's and I'm going to miss some Sundays, right? So, so what should we do if we miss a gathering on a Sunday? I just want to be really practical about this. I would challenge you and I would challenge me to go back and actually listen to the sermon that you missed, in order to continue growing alongside your brothers and sisters, to continue to be shaped with the rest of your church. Right? Because if together we are committed to being shaped by the preached word, then we can't go along without it. This discipline might, might look like making a commitment even now to listening to all seven sermons in this series. One last week, one this week. Maybe you're traveling next week and sick the next. But if you made it a priority to listen to those sermons, then you would be shaped alongside your brothers and sisters here in this church. And, and by the way, we do record the audio and we edit and we upload the sermons just a few hours after the, after the Sunday mornings. And I, and I think it would be totally appropriate to thank our tech team, led by Christopher DeLoglos, for all the work that you guys do. Because you are a huge gift to our church. And... 
you do not get thanked enough, so thank you. So health, travel, or unforeseen events may interrupt a regular participation in the gathering of your local church from time to time. But friends, listen, we must not neglect to meet with one another under the preached word. We may, we may prefer a live stream on a couch or, or listening to a podcast later in the week out of convenience. But there's something that God does by his spirit when you are present that is uniquely different than when you are absent, when, you are, when you're watching a video on YouTube. God's spirit means to work through your participation on a Sunday morning, not least through the preaching of his powerful word. So show up and show up expecting and show up expecting to hear God speak to you. Lehman drives this home about why we gather and listen to preaching. He says this, Christianity begins not with what we do, but with an announcement, with a word. A word, an announcement of what God has done. Furthermore, it's only words, think about this, it's only words that can challenge our self-rule. Melodies or visual images can inspire us, encourage us, or cause us to grieve, but only words can command us to surrender control of our lives and yield them to Christ. Therefore, one thing is necessary in our churches, hearing God's word through preaching, reading, singing, and praying. That's what this sermon series is all about. We are prone to wander, friends. That's why we need the word to do what Paul writes about back in verse to, to reprove. That means to expose or to convict or to admonish. We need it to rebuke, to warn by instruction, to exhort, to call us unto something, to encourage us. And if I asked you to raise your hand and asked how many of you like to be reproved, rebuked, and exhorted, I don't think I would get many serious hands raised. We don't actually like that. We don't actually want that in our sinful state. But what is the word doing? Like a gardener removing weeds and cultivating his produce, so God's spirit is putting to death the deeds of the body that would threaten to kill us in order to grow us and give us new life. Unless we think that this responsibility falls only on our pastors, Let me highlight our personal responsibility that you are responsible to actively listen to, participate in, and submit to the word. So here are a few encouragements for us today, a few applications for a few select groups of people. If you don't have a habit, this is super practical, of bringing your Bible on a Sunday morning, I charge you to bring your Bible. When Matthew or a scripture reader or another preacher says, look at me with verse 3, what is expected? That you would actually have your Bible and would be looking at verse 3. That you would be learning to study and understand God's word spoken to you as the word is preached. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible Please talk to someone before you leave. We would love to get you a Bible. If you are easily distracted, I think I fall in this category. 
If you're easily distracted during the sermon by any combination of lunch plans, social media notifications, texts, consider turning off your phone or putting it away altogether. You may not mean to be distracted. Okay? You may not mean to be distracted, but it's worth disciplining yourself to limit distractions in order to focus and to lean in, to consider, to weigh what is being said. It's not about whether the preacher man had such a great story, a great opener that caught your attention and, oh, I I can put away my phone for a moment. It's not because he had a pithy quote or a catchy main idea. We are here to hear from God. So if that means putting away your phone, then do it. If you're a college student, maybe you're visiting for the holidays, or or maybe you're a a senior or a junior in high school, and you plan to leave for college in the next few years, or or maybe you're going to take a job in a new city, and you're going to have to move away, it is vital that you find a church that is going to preach the word for your soul. You need to be committed to finding that church. And if the church that you're at right now, if you're not a member at Kingsway, is not doing that, then help that church do that to the best of your ability. But you need that. Your soul needs God's word. And finally, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you're going to go through seasons of discouragement, doubt, and difficulty. Maybe you're in one of those right now. And more than anything else, what do you need? I could give you a long list of things that the world has for answers to that question. What do you need? But what do you need? You need the Word of God. You need God's Spirit to apply the hope and healing of His promises and His provision in His Word. When He speaks, He acts. His truth transforms. So do not turn away from listening to the word. Do not not wander off, but hold on to the word, which is your life. You remember the story of the church that I visited with some friends? Is it inherently wrong to, to have an espresso bar when you first enter the church? No, no. (laughs) Definitely not, Julie. Um, You know, is it even wrong, absolutely wrong, to play a secular song as an instrumental for an opener as people are walking through the doors? I'd be hard-pressed to say that, like, okay, it would be unwise, maybe. (laughs) But I don't know that the Bible actually explicitly says you cannot play Coldplay, right? Okay, enough said. (laughs) But what I do know, what I do know what I do know is that from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, this is abundantly clear about the preaching on Sunday mornings. Pastors have a holy responsibility not to entertain, but to preach the word because we all are prone to wander from the truth. So, to our pastors... 
we charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and of his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And may we pray that for you guys and support you guys in that. It is a high calling. It is a holy responsibility. But it is life for all of us. Let's pray. God, I'm reminded... I was reminded this morning as I was preparing my thoughts that we all are prone to wander. Just like the 18th century hymn, Oh to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God, we give you our hearts and our lives because your word has shown us who you are, our need for Jesus, the provision of Jesus, and the coming kingdom. And God, we give ourselves wholly to that. Help us to receive your preached word Sunday after Sunday after Sunday with that kind of humility and grace that you would extend to us. We pray in your name. Amen.